Good afternoon, sisters. I'm just super excited today because today is a very special day for me. Um, today is actually my mother's birthday. And as you guys know, she passed a couple of years ago, so this day means a lot to me. So I'm just excited to be up here. Yes. And so um, I get to talk about God's spirit calls us to put God first. And um, I want to have you guys write down John 4, 24. And it says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You know, and we are all God's worshipers. So what I want to do is I want to start off talking about the benefits. What are the benefits of putting God first? Okay. <clears throat> the first benefit we have is it brings us great peace, right? Great peace. Attempting to live God without peace is very stressful, right? When you're trying to attempt to live your life without God, it's very stressful, like nothing works. There's no peace, right? And then the second benefit of putting God first is love, right? It causes us to love deeper. It causes us to grow in our love when we put God first. It's not like we would turn like the world where it says some, some people's love will grow cold. When you put God first, your love grows deeper, even for the challenging folks that we, we work with every day, you know? And I don't say deal because I think deal is so negative, so I say we work with these people, you know? Because everybody has a little bit of that in them, right? Including ourselves. But what does it look like to not put God first? What does not putting God first looks like, right? God is not a burden, right? Putting God first is not a burden. It's not a chore. It's not a checklist. And it's not bragging rights. And I say this for myself personally because I used to feel like, oh, gosh, I have to go and pray. I got to get up in the morning and pray. I got to make sure I do that before I start my day. It was like a chore. It was like, I don't get to go pray. It was like, oh, I got to pray. Oh, man, I woke up and I had to, I want to get to pray. You know, oh, all right, let me write this down so I don't forget to pray. You know? And it was very hard because it, I've, I realized that it was my pride. It was my pride that was keeping me from seeing that going to God is a benefit. It's a, it's a, a privilege. It is, I get to spend time with the creator of the universe who's sitting there hovering, waiting for me. When I wake, he breathed, he breathed the life, breathed the life into me, right? He waited when I opened my eyes. God willed my eyes to open. God kept my heart beating throughout the night, you know? And I woke up and he was like, and I was like, oh, I got to go to work, you know? Instead of saying, thank you, God, for waking me up and giving me life. You know, when someone passes away, you really, really get to understand how important it is to have a relationship with God. You know, when someone passes away, you understand that God is in full control. We have no control over whether we live or die. We don't even have control if we come here. God wills everything we do. There's a scripture that talks about it. In him, we move in him and out of him. That's in our study series, you guys. You know, so the thing that was holding me back when I was having those spells of, okay, I have to pray, or 
I, I have to have my quiet time. Shh, everybody be quiet. I have to have my quiet time. I got to turn off my phone. I have to go on break, you know? It was because I found myself easily angered because of that. Um, stressed out because I put that in the list of burdens and checks, right? Of things that I had to do. And when it didn't happen, I felt like a failure, right? I was anxious. I was restless. And I was doubtful. And then I was even like, is the Bible even true? Like, did God really say that? You know, like all these things that Satan said to Eve, remember? So I'm like, okay, something has to change. Something has to change because how can I be a woman of God and do all these things and reach out to my family, preach to my sisters and stuff, and I'm not even spending time with the creator of the universe on a daily basis? You know, I was on a diet of um, snacks and chips. I didn't get full course meals, right? And it was, it was affecting me. I was very, very, very um, malnourished. But um, let's turn to Psalms 63, 1 through 11. And this is, this is why we put them first. In Psalm 63, it says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and, and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand holds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down in the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will, gl will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. In verse 11, but the queen, <laughs> we're queens, right, in our own little world, right? But the queens will rejoice in God. And when I read this scripture a long time ago, I realized why I put God first, right? I need him. It is necessary. It's a necessary thing. It's not, I, you know, I'm just going to pray because I have to. I need God. I need to pray to him every single day. He is my sustainer. He is there for me to live, walk, be who I am in my beings, right? That's why I pray to God, because I need him, right? And Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I am nothing without God. I am a very bad woman. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing good in me. If it wasn't for God and his Holy Spirit, I would be hard. You guys wouldn't even want to know me. Trust, trust and believe. You would not even want to know me. And the ultimate example is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example. I found 29 scriptures in the Bible where it talks about he went away to pray. He left to pray. He went to a far place to pray. Jesus prayed all the time. Like Jesus prayed. And Jesus was God in the flesh, and he prayed. So he knew. One last scripture, Luke 6, 12. Jesus walked 
Jesus wanted to, went to the mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying. So if you guys want to know why you need to put God first in the spirit, follow Jesus' example. God is the creator of all things. He is the alpha and the omega. And no spirit, and his spirit calls us to put him first. And that's what we must do. I love you guys. Hello, sisters. So my topic is God's spirit calls us to walk in the light. And if you would, turn with me to Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. The scripture says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so the scripture really does judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, I think the 2021 for me was a year of God really showing me who I am. I thought, and Jerry said that the other day at Devo, and I was like, oh, same. Um, but I think I thought I was a lot of things and a lot of sin. Just God just showed me, no, you're not. Um, a lot of sin was exposed in my heart. As I overcame more outward sins of, um, like, by the grace of God, of bulimia, binge eating and throwing up, I realized that I went to that. And overall, self-obsession and b obsession with, like, body weight, um, food, just self, right? This was really masking a lot of things that were deeper. And so it's like, uh, Chamba Diva also said, every level has its devil. And so as I overcame that, I'm like, great, like, we're overcoming this. But then I see a whole new spew of darkness, things that were like thoughts and attitudes, which the word of God was uncovering. Um, and I also want to go over to, well, actually, first, I just want to say, you know, a lot of these thoughts and attitudes were self-pity, self-pity, pride, selfish ambition, um, criticalness, divisiveness, jealousy, envy, malice, hatred, bitterness, fear. These are all things that are in my heart, like can be in my heart. And, I, and I've been learning to, you know, really be honest about things in me that are like shameful. Like that's embarrassing. I don't want to say that. Like, you know, but the scripture reminds us like we're not good. I feel like you have to get open with the truth, the ugly truth in order to actually get help. I've heard many times um, you have to look your worst in front of people in order to actually, you know, get the help you need. Um, and I'd also like to go over to... Um, 1 John 1, 8 through 9. And it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so like this is the good news, you know, even though the scripture like does definitely judge the thoughts and attitudes, even when they're ugly, even when they're embarrassing, even when they're hard this purification process happens when we're actually honest with our sisters, first with God, first with ourselves, then with God, and then with our sisters, then we can actually get the help we need. Then people can be praying for us. Um, uh, yeah, and I really did want to lift up Rebecca and Mariah because um, we recently entered into a new discipling relationship, and I'm very inspired by how you guys have not held back. Like this week already, this is the first week, you've already been open with me about sins. You've confessed your sins because we should be confessing our sin all the time. And so I just wanted to lift them up for just giving their hearts and being open and being honest and going after it. Yes. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, what walking in the light means to me is like getting open when bitterness, when fear, when pride, when hatred and malice is in my heart, even though that's embarrassing. And just God is, God definitely has shown me like, no, you're not good. Like I'm not good. And that's a good place to be because no one's good except God. And so then we can, you know, work towards just, yeah. Um, that's all I have to say. Hi, sisters. So excited to be up here and share with you. Um, my part is God's spirit is enough. <clears throat> so I wanted to read Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a pro the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so for about the, well, many years, but specifically the last four years, I had four main dreams. I wanted to be in the full-time ministry. I wanted to be married again. I wanted to live on the beach, and I wanted my children to become disciples and I really couldn't make any of these dreams happen on my own, but God could. And then Matt and Helen asked me from Orlando to move to Miami and go down there on the team, and we decided I would live in Hollywood Beach, so I got to live on the beach. So one of my dreams came true out of the four. And I had my dog, Poisey, with me. Some of you guys might remember her. She was my closest physical companion, and... Um, she was a kingdom dog. She went everywhere I went. And then there was a mutual interest in a brother from Mexico City, Mexico, who lived there. And about a year after moving to Miami, I moved. Uh, I had to, like, sell up, pack up, give away everything, my, move out of my apartment on the beach, um, leave my family and friends, Florida, where I'd lived for many years, my opportunity to live, to uh, sell real estate and make money that way, um, my privilege of speaking English, my ability to drive, um, I sold everything. And then I left a few personal belongings in Marie's garage. It's not available, so don't ask her. Uh, and, uh, and then I still own my house in Orlando, so that was a little bit of comfort I had because I knew I could always come home if I needed to. And... Um, and that was also my plan B. I was going to rent it out, and that would be my income since I couldn't do real estate. And then off to a third world country I went, and I lived in a horrible housing situation for, uh, that took me back in time as far as poverty and, and just uh, I couldn't speak the language, so now I'm ignorant of everything. And um, so this took me back in time at least 30 years and because I had grown up poor, I, I, I did know what it was like, but now I was experiencing again. And I had to take public transportation, and I had to watch my back everywhere I went because someone was going to steal from me because that's what they did to everybody. And, um, and it wasn't just a, a guess. I mean, like people from church were getting their backpacks stolen and everything. So anyway, I started, I had to start all new friendships and very few English-speaking people, and now everything was spoken through Google Translate, everything. 
and I was trying to learn Spanish. I even took six weeks daily intensive course Spanish and still did not learn <laughs> at the university. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was all Greek to me, sisters. Um, but I lived six months in this bad living situation. I was just thinking, God's trying to get America out of me. And I needed it because I was living on, in Miami on the beach. So I needed to get America out of me. I still had my dog to give me comfort, though. And I was happy about that. And then my roommate lost my dog. And she was on the streets of Mexico City for three days. Finally, we found her, got her back home. She was sick because she'd eaten food from the street. And I was growing weary because the scripture says you will reap what you sow. And I was looking at the wrong things. I finally was able to rent my own apartment for me and my dog. Even though some things were good, they were very good, there was a lot of difficulties going on. And I started getting spiritually weaker from choosing to please my flesh rather than the spirit. And my boyfriend asked me to keep some secrets. And, um, and I wanted to keep them anyway, some of them. And so um, there were bad choices and, and everything. So it's hard to be in uh, this situation I was in. He also had two children who had just lost their mom like a year before or so, and they hadn't grieved. And, um, and so that was a really hard situation. They did not want a stepmother. And Philippe's family did not want him to marry me. And uh, so I had to fight really, really, really hard to win all these people over. And then I was getting my dream number two. I was going to get married. So even though there was challenges, I was like, amen, I'm getting dream number two. And so um, I had hoped that I had hoped that, that the marriage would actually put us in the ministry so we could really help a lot more people. That was my original plan. But um, that, those things were not what my husband um, wanted to do. So anyway, um, when you keep secrets, they are deadly. They can kill you. And they lead to other bad decisions. Then my plan B, you know, renting my house in Orlando to have money so I could take care of myself. Well, a tree <laughs> broke in two and fell on my house and smashed in my roof and did $100,000 worth of damage. And my dog's health got worse and worse, and I had to put her to sleep. She was my closest companion for 10 years, and it was definitely like losing a family member or a best friend. And now we're packing to move to France because the man in Mexico was really French. And so <laughs> I, I, had to forget, I had to forget Spanish, and I had to start learning French. And... And I had to fight hard to make all of Philippe's family and friends become my friends. And I had to fight hard with the insurance company because they didn't want to pay me the money for the house. And I hired a contractor that was crooked, and he ripped me off and took most of the $100,000. And so I had to sell my house this past March for a major loss. And I never got any of the income that I was hoping to get to support myself. That didn't ever happen. But um, things did get worse before they got better. My husband was so numb spiritually, very distant from God and the church. So he decided to leave, and he wanted me to leave too. I was starting to be very sober-minded, though, because I had spent a lot of time here. And I can't believe I'm already out of time. Um, <laughs> 
But anyway, coming back here, I had no car, no house, no furniture, um, but I did have the English language. I did not have my doggy, but I have built a lot of friends. I have an apartment because friends from church helped me find it. I got to drive a car because Diego sacrificed and let me borrow it. And um, then I eventually got to buy my own. I have rebuilt my real estate business, and I have a few customers to work with. I need more. Please pray about that. Um, but the, the word says in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words have, uh, I have spoken to you are full of spirit and life. And also, um, I need prayers for one more thing. Um, I got word from my sister who's in contact with my husband that he wanted to repent and come back. And um, my husband also sent me an email today saying that he contacted our leaders two days ago. And so I don't know if he'll really do what it takes to lay down his old life because it doesn't matter to me through prayer, fasting, the word, I am staying focused on God. His spirit is enough. Amen. Well, that's a hard thing to follow up. Amen. So the charge and title that I've been given is God's spirit calls us to be a worker in the plentiful harvest. Right? And so as we know, in Mark 9, Jesus reminds us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right? And I want to ask you, sisters, what kind of worker are you? So I looked up a few different types of employees or workers, and this is what I found. The friend seeker, the star performer, the director, the money hunter, the expert, the creator, the free spirit, and the stable employee. And so I want to ask you guys, like, which one of these do you feel like you fit into best? Like, which one ring the bell? You know what I mean? Um, at your jobs right now, who are you? I want you to think about it and be honest. Who are you? And write it down in your notes. Just which one you are right now. And so let's go to John chapter 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11. And it reads, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The only worker that God is looking for is the stable one. And so God's sheep, they won't hear the voice of a stranger. They're not going to recognize it. And so look at what you wrote down. What can you change so that you can become a stable worker for God? Because the friend seeker has the wrong motives. They water down the word of God to keep their friends close. The star performer is only thinking about themselves. They're at the center of everything because they want to be praised. Right? The director takes authority for themselves rather than being appointed by others. This person always volunteers to be in charge so they can be in control. The money hunter will never see the kingdom. Their heart is wicked, as the Bible says. The expert is prideful and hard-hearted. This person is hard to disciple and hard to be around because they're condescending. And the free spirit is rebellious and they wander. This person just does what they feel like doing. But the stable employee gathers the flock. 
And so, you know, out of all these things, I can relate most to the expert. You know, I can be very prideful and a know-it-all when I go by my natural way of thinking, right? Um, and in the kingdom, I've really had to work hard to change this character in me, like changing the way I talk, changing my attitude, and really trying to be more like Jesus. And I still have such a long way to go. And I'm very grateful for the discipling that I get continuously on it. And that's okay, because I know where I want to be, right? And so the harvest is plentiful, sisters. The workers are few. UCF is the largest campus in America. Did you guys know that? With 66,000 students. Orlando's population is 280,000 souls. And there are 83 of us. Amen? Right? We are only going to be able to evangelize our portion of the world if we are true and stable workers for the Lord. And so I want to challenge you guys in a few things. Is that okay? All right. So all of the studies, the Bible studies, the women that want to be saved are posted in the Love Opportunities chat. And so for those who say, I want to be in studies, what's stopping you? That's my question. I hear these words, yet actions speak louder. Ask to be in studies. Imitate the women like Taylor, like Josie, like Gabby, who are like, hey, can I be in a study? Hey, do you need anyone for this study? Okay, well, I'm free on this day at this time. So if you have anybody at that time, let me know. I'll be in it. Imitate that heart, that zeal, that direction. They are constantly asking. They make no excuse. And if they don't have a study of their own, they join one. You know, that's a disciple. And that's how we're going to save Orlando. So speak up and ask to be in sisters. Amen? Also, why do we work for the Lord? Why? All of the workers we talked about had a heart issue. Their hearts was in the wrong place and their motivation was not God. But 2 Corinthians 5.14 says Christ's love compels us. So we should be motivated to be the stable worker, to be in studies because we love Jesus, because we love God. He died for us, so we work and bow down to him. So let's turn to Psalms chapter 1. This is my last scripture. Psalms 1, verse 1. And it reads, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in the season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Overall, I really want to encourage you with this scripture, sisters, because it's not about how much fruit you bear, right? And so Florida, they're known for their oranges, right? And did you know that we produce 67.3 million boxes of oranges a year? I mean, that's a lot. I didn't think we produced that many, but we do. Um, but oranges don't grow year-round. They take about 10 months to grow. So you see an orange on a tree, it's going to be there for probably another nine months, which is insane. And then they're harvested in midsummer June, you know? God says we'll be like a tree planted by water which bears fruit in its season. Our job is not to worry about our season. Our job is to be a good worker. God will handle when the fruit will mature, whether it's June or January or August or both. Who knows? So, sisters, let's choose to be stable workers for the Lord in 2022. To God be the glory.
Uh, my charge was um, God's fear drives out all fear. So I have three points, so let's just start with the scripture first. 1 John 4, 18, please. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made it fear the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So my first point, what is your belief? Because when I looked at the definition of fear, the definition of fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by a belief or slash faith, right? That someone or something is dangerous or likely to cause pain or to be a threat. So what is your belief? What is your faith? That's easy to say, right? I can say it for all of us. We believe that Jesus died for us, gave his life on the cross because he loved us, right? Okay, so, and may I dare ask, because I was contemplating on really asking this question, but is Jesus someone that we have to be scared of giving us pain? Or being, giving us, being, thre- we're being threatened by Jesus in some sort of way? Um, first John 4, 16 says, God is love. So there's, that's no, the answer is no, right? We can all say that loud and proud. Right? So, but there's a however, ladies. However, if you are stuck in what Sonia so-and-so called the fear zone, (laughs) guess what? Your belief is that God is dangerous. That God is a threat. That God is going to cause you some sort of pain. And the reason why is because you're not letting God be God. You are making... You are, you are not allowing him to take that full control of your life, okay? And you are now leaning on your own understanding, okay? I want to just think about what's, what's really going on in the world and what's kind of fearful for everybody, and that's what, the big old thing called COVID, right? So let's think. I'm scared of COVID. Me, I'm scared. I wear my mask. I stand six feet apart. I do my, take my zinc I do all the things I do. But guess what? I got COVID. And did you ever think, ladies, God gave you COVID? Because he, wa- he knew that you were fearful. And he's saying, hey, sister friend, come back to me. Come back to me. Because you are fearful and I need to take control of your life. Guess what? I tried to uh, think of something that my mom used to say to me when I was a kid. And I was like, no, no, mom, that's God. But my mom used to say, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. So if you are fearful, fearful of something, ladies, guess what? God brought you into this world, and he can take you out. So point number two, fear is a bully. Fear is a bully, and it brings a multitude of sin as well as bad decisions. It wants to control and steer your life and the life that you're building with God. See, I believe that fear is a gateway sin. It's like that gateway drug, right? It's that like pot drug that I'm smoking and then I go into other and bigger, badder things, right? So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my life. I sit here and I repent to all of you that I, my biggest sin is idolatry, right? But it doesn't begin with idolatry. It begins with fear because my fear is that I'm afraid that nobody's going to like me. 
so then I'm worried about that. I'm mad if my husband gets upset with me because then I'm thinking my husband's mad at me and doesn't like me. So then I'm like, okay, my first thought is not God anymore. It's Chaz. What is going to happen, right? I'm going to start ooh, start spiraling down this what, unquote, unquote, Sonia says, this rabbit hole. So then not only is my, is my sin fear, my sin is now idolatry, but then I'm also fighting with my husband, so now I'm feeling bitterness and jealousy and anger, right? Are you with me, sisters? Do you feel that? Okay. <laughs> my last and final point <laughs> is be victorious and have faith. God's love has so much more for us. In his power, we can stare fear in the face and be victorious. Amen. Also, having a strong faith becomes a weapon. It's a trust, a conviction that God's going to do what he said he would for us. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Remember, ladies, you were baptized in the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Look inside yourself. That's what's in you. Think of this for a second. Do you guys remember the cartoons when the, the devil's on this side and the angel's on this side? Guess what? When you're in a situation, I'm going to reach out to the campus girls and say to you guys, do you know when you're going out for a party? But guess what? Your job is to evangelize. So you might go to a party that might be worldly just to see and maybe branch out there. And then you go out, get in the room, and you're like, hmm, something ain't right. I don't feel, I don't feel good. I shouldn't be here. What do you think that is, ladies? Amen. So, ladies, dig down deep for that Holy Spirit and cure that fear. Cure those sins that you're feeling that all the time. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I had to take a breath. But... But, but in all actuality, if you're really not listening to this little good guy on this side, what are you really listening to? Okay? So how do we overcome fear? This is my last and final um, scripture. is Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So in order to cure fear, to order to cure any sin, you have to get into the word. You have to have good quiet times. You need to be talking to God every day, and you need to put him first and have him control your life because he is the only one who's going to take care of you. And to God be all the glory. I heard you preach, girl. That was, that was incredible. So um, my topic is uh, making the kingdom first. If my phone will cooperate. Oh, geez. Nothing is cooperating with me today. I'm sorry. <laughs> so if you could turn to Ephesians 1. And we're going to read from 3 to 9. And 11 to, <clears throat> to where I end. 
So it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That is the kingdom, sisters. That's what you are part of. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood. He purchased the church through his blood. The forgiveness of sins is what we have, sisters, in the kingdom. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him who works everything, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. When you treasure God's kingdom, when you have that heart, this is what you are to God. You are for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. That's what brought you into the kingdom. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal. You were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. That's how you know you are a part of his kingdom. That's how precious you are. That's how precious the kingdom is. Each of you were marked by God with his Holy Spirit, his seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. That is what you are in God's kingdom. You are his possession, sisters. What an amazing honor. What an amazing privilege. Can I ever get through anything without crying? I'm sorry. <clears throat> Who is a deposit guarantee or inheritance until the redemption 
of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The kingdom is precious. The scripture says that the church is the body of Christ. Each of you are a part of it. Each of you is so special and important in the body. The church does not exist without you. You are a part, an important part in the body of Christ. You are, as Sunday keeps saying over and over again, the church. The kingdom is your treasure. And I'm just going to give a couple of things, practical. Um, <clears throat> the kingdom is your treasure when meetings of the body, D times, and <clears throat> studies are important to you. Why would you not want to give back your time to someone else whose soul is lost and is hunger, hungering for God? for the truth, for lost in this world, when you know what you have. The kingdom is your treasure. When you, it is your top priority to be at the meetings of the body because you are the church and you are grateful for it. The kingdom is your treasure. When you are seeking inputs, when things are not working out, life situations come up, you don't just take control, but you're giving God control. You're living this life by faith. It takes faith to walk this walk and to live this life. It is not by sight, sisters. Don't be fooled when things are thrown into your schedule to keep you away from the meetings of the body. That is the devil. It is a spiritual battle. And I'm so proud of Millie. Because Millie has been going through these tests. And in the beginning, she gave into these things that are always thrown into her schedule. And now, victory after victory. Today, she told me about a victory. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, she told me another victory that she thought. It, so it is great to see growth and that's a thing that happens in the kingdom right we don't stay where we are we continue to grow the kingdom is your treasure when you joyfully live the life poured out in service to god oh is that time oh wow okay <laughs> um the kingdom is your treasure and it's a good thing, most of the sisters already said a lot of these. The kingdom is your treasure when you are in love with God's word, applying it to your life, changing, growing, let it convict your heart. It is your treasure when you're always fighting to crucify the flesh, not protecting it, not defending it, because it's working against you. It's a, the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other. Don't do what you want, sisters. Don't give into the flesh. The kingdom is your treasure. When you treat every disciple with love, honor, respect, you don't allow the flesh to dictate anymore. You put to death the sinful attitudes of comparing and judging and 
assuming the worst, <clears throat> gossiping, avoiding, all of that, you put him to death. The kingdom is your treasure when you're honoring God with your giving, sisters. Your giving shows your heart of gratitude, of respect, of honor for God. No one should have to be asking about your giving. God is watching and God sees and God knows what your faith is. Whenever you're going on, your giving should be first. If you're going on vacation, give first. Okay? If you forgot to give, make it up. Let your word be, what was that? Yeah, your yes, yes. <laughs> um, sorry. And the kingdom is your treasure. When you constantly go back to the cross, you will need that to survive and to make it to the end and to God be the glory. All right. Okay, um, so I know we got to go um, sort of fast, but my topic is what does the Spirit say about the kingdom being our first family? Okay, so we all know the scripture in Matthew 6, right, verse 33, where it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, right? So when we were studying, we understood this as committing to church on Sunday, midweeks, and if you were really urgent, Bible talks, Right? <laughs> But now that we are children of God, these things that we were called to do while studying are now expectations. Okay? So I first, I, I want to ask you all a question, okay? Are these things that you were called to first still your first priority? Okay? My prayer during this charge is that we understand how God wants us to put his kingdom first now that we are daughters of God. I mean, Jesus' example of putting the kingdom first was exemplified in many different ways. Let's first remind ourselves of the scripture that struck all of us when we first heard it in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Where do we all stand with this scripture today? In Matthew, Jesus plainly says it, like just very direct about it, and says that whoever loves their mother, father, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, that hits a little different, right? Based on your recent actions, are you loving your physical family more than your spiritual family that Jesus gave you? All right, y'all, look, I know it can be hard, you know, sometimes, um, and you feel torn sometimes between doing the will of God and then also being there for your family, okay? I totally, totally get it. I really do. I mean, I can't even begin to explain the feeling that comes across or to me every Sunday morning when I have to get my kids ready to go to another church where they are being taught false doctrine. I was in that church, so I know they teach false doctrine. And then when your kids are looking at you and say, Mommy, why aren't you coming to church with me? They're two and four. How am I supposed to explain that to them? But I know that if I stay, stand firm, 
I know that if I keep building my convictions, that they're going to have a better chance. Man, I was not thinking about crying. Um, yep. So, all right. Be with me, please. Okay. So another example, honestly, is when recently, Christmas Eve, my entire family, they were having, um, we were having Christmas Eve at our house, and um, I was the host, and my mom and everybody was there, and they were like, you guys, we're going to church, we're going to go to Northland, and we're going to be together, let's, let's do it, okay? Why can't we be together? Taylor, are you coming? No, I can't come, you guys, okay? I'm sitting at home by myself, prepping whatever meal we're going to have that night, they're in church. They come back. I mean, it's super awkward. I mean, you guys can imagine, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, the division that has been established because of the conviction I have in doing the will of God and not wavering on the truth is hard. But I have to always go back to who am I trying to please? Okay, who are we trying to please, sisters? Sometimes we can also get deceived and thinking that our family members and or people we know and care about are doing the will of God. <laughs> but let's look to see what Jesus says about who is family. Okay, let's go over, um, you know, write this down, Luke chapter 8, 19 through 21. It says, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers and sisters are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Amen. That's very clear, ladies. Look around. We all came to a knowledge of the truth and put it into practice or else we would not be here. This is your family. This is our family. Guys, start taking a real look at what Jesus defines as family here. How often do you call each other? How often do you pray for each other? Initiate quiet times together or even go on sister dates. You guys, how can we say we are family if we only see each other on Sunday, Wednesday, or Bible talk? How does that make us, this might be hard to hear, how does that make us any different from the world who sometimes only make it a point to see their families on holidays, birthdays, and tragic events? Come on. Are you a person who's okay with seeing their family three times a week? Or do you have a desire to see or call each other every day? Come on. Okay, and look, I understand. We have our Bible talks, we have people who were close to, intimate with, we have our disciples, things like that, right? Yeah. Who we can sort of relate to more because of experience and life and all that stuff, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, I mean, Jesus even had certain disciples with him in Gethsemane when it was, when it was hard, okay? Wow. However, does your group, first of all, is your, is your group, so to speak, unified? Secondly, if you are, do you challenge each other to build a relationship with another sister? And with that being said, I, I, I do want to challenge 
our Bible talks, I mean, this has to go through Sonia, to make it a point to reach out to another sister that you don't talk to often and do a quiet time together. Why not? You know, I'm super encouraged by Rebecca and Izzy because we met earlier this week on Thursday and we met at Panera and Rebecca came up to me. She was like, hey, can we do a quiet time together? I was like, yeah. You know, you guys know how she does this little tongue thing, like, you know, that thing. I was like, yes, we can. You know, and so we, we met together and, 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 and it was awesome. You know, we read God's word. We talked about what we were struggling with and in essence, it drew us together, closer together, you know? I mean, we say all the time that unity is, be, is something that needs to be forged, right? During the week, are we able to see some of, during the week, we are able to see some of the same sisters that are in our Bible talk, but in terms of sisters that we don't know or see, are we okay with just relying on Sundays to forge that unity? Is that okay? Let's see how Jesus forged the unity. Real quick, and I know, Sonia, we got to go. But in Matthew 3, okay, Matthew 3, and I, there, there's nothing in terms of specific scriptures, but we're going to start in Matthew 3. Jesus gets baptized by John, one of his disciples, and it was just him and John until John was put in prison. One thing to point out here, though, that I want to explain is that even when John was put in prison, Jesus didn't stop preaching the word about the kingdom and repentance, okay? So who are you when you're alone? Do you need another sister to share your faith? In verse 18 to 21, we see that Jesus calls his first disciples. We see their response to Jesus, right? And he says, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So question, we did this once, sisters. Do we still have this urgency to follow Jesus and put his kingdom first? Amen, Paula. Thank you. Jesus, then, he hung out with his disciples, right? He, they went with him everywhere. He went with them to heal the sick. Um, he even went over to Peter's house, right? He, they were with him for the great sermon. I mean, what impact do you think this had on their relationship? Do you think this forged unity and built conviction? Right? We even see in Jesus' distress, in the hardest time in his life, he went to his brothers. He didn't go back to his mom. He didn't go confide in his physical brothers, right, his physical family. No. He has Peter. He has James. He has John. And he said, come on, come pray with me. Come be with me. Right? Come on. Right? I mean, I can remember a time last year when Al and I, we were having some bumps or whatever, but he said some very hurtful words, okay? It would have hurt anybody probably in this room, right? And he gave me some ultimatums that really didn't make any sense, Right? And they were really hard things. But I knew they were things I could submit to. Right? Because he wasn't stopping me from going to church. He wasn't stopping me from being in the word. He wasn't stopping me from being around my family. You know? And I don't say these things to put my husband in negative light. Okay? I don't, I don't, I don't want to get that confused. All right? I say these things because you got to get radical about putting the kingdom first. Okay? And it's going to come with persecution. It's a fact. Okay, those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. So my husband, he's an awesome man, and I honestly I cannot wait for him when God calls him and he becomes a disciple because he's gonna have so much impact. Okay? Seriously. Right? But during this time though, it was hard. And what did I do? I had to practice Matthew 6, 33. I sought the kingdom, I got advice, I said, look, this is hard. What do I do? They encouraged me with Ephesians chapter 6, 
10 through 12. Write it down, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For the struggle is not against flesh and blood. The struggle is not against me and my husband, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? If I wouldn't have done this and, if, and get discipled and get advice, who knows where I would have been? I'd have been running over the Northland. Okay? I sought the kingdom and God's word to get me through this time. Ladies, who do you confide in? Are you vulnerable and open with your sisters on a thought level? Or do you try to handle and make decisions on your own? You guys, have, you guys have to understand, these things can either draw us closer to the kingdom or draw us further away from it. Okay? I'm about to finish up. But here's the thing, okay? When it's drawing you further away, you actually start saying things like, oh, it's too far. This is just too far. Oh, COVID's running rampant right now. I don't have a ride. Um, I haven't seen my daughter in so long, and she's in town. And, you know, her birthday and her, my, my niece is having her birthday, whatever, okay? Yeah. These reasons, they actually start superseding God's will. Yeah. Because of our lack of conviction in our purpose in God's kingdom. Yeah. We got to start getting convicted, ladies, and, and why God's church is our first priority. You know, I personally think the reason why we start losing our convictions on this is because we stop remembering the cross. Do you remember who you were before God called you? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ladies, have we lost sight of what we are a part of. Okay, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 14, this is my last scripture. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, and we understand that this is Paul reminding us of who he was before he was called, right? And it made me start thinking, who was I? Who was I? I was promiscuous. I was a deceiver. I was a manipulator. I was a liar. I was malicious. I was ungrateful. Um, I was treacherous. I wasn't loyal at all. It was me, myself, and I. I disrespected my leaders, my parents, to be honest. I hated when people corrected me. I couldn't stand it. I would get drunk. I was jealous. I even had a desire to want to have orgies. I can remember asking my husband, hey, would you be open to a threesome? This is how I thought. This is who I was. Y'all probably look right now like, whoa, right? Because we know the truth. 
Have you forgotten who you were when God called you? But guess what? He considered you trustworthy even while you were thinking all those nasty thoughts to do his service. Ladies, how are we turning this undeserved grace? Are we going to continue to make excuses, justify and lean on our own understanding on how we need to put the kingdom first? Or are we going to use the free will that God has given us to repent and start making changes in our lives? It is literally a choice. Here's my two practicals. One, start looking at your schedule and see where there is a conflict in not making the meetings of the body and talk to your discipler on how you can rearrange your schedule to put the kingdom first. Two, reach out to another sister that you don't know and have a quiet time or an encouragement day together. Share about your lives and what you're learning from God. And to God be the glory. Awesome, fantastic. Aww. Wow. What a feast of nuggets from the Lord. All I can say is ditto, 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 right? I hope you took lots of notes. I'm going to post mine on the Love Op as soon as Amanda helps me to transform my notes to a PDF so it's not all over the place. I would like to ask the sisters who preached, who did an amazing job. Let's give it up for each of those powerful preachers. Amen. We have nothing more to say. That was clear, distinct, came from humility. Thank you, each of you. I hope you're inspired by these seven incredible women. I am. I'm humbled. I'm so honored to be in the trenches fighting side by side with each of you guys. And so let's take how I'm going to change for God for 2020 and keep it here and keep it here so we can go where God is calling us to go and grow how God is calling us to grow and to God our Lord and the Holy Spirit be our glory. Amen. Amen.